Welcome to season two of Healthcare Reimagined, the Society for Healthcare Innovations podcast series. Our goal is to showcase innovation in the private sector, as well as within provider organizations and government entities. On Healthcare Reimagined, we share strategies from clinicians, entrepreneurs, health system executives, and business and political leaders who have shifted their models to meet the new reality brought on by COVID-19. Welcome to season two, episode three of the Healthcare Reimagined podcast. Today, I spoke with Zach Gray, CEO and founder of Ophelia. Zach started Ophelia after experiencing the devastating effects of opioid addiction when his former girlfriend died from an accidental overdose. Ophelia offers individuals who struggle with opioid addiction an online platform for medication-assisted treatment. There's been a spike in addictions in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, and Zach and his team are helping to fight back. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Corey. Can you start by just telling us a little bit about Ophelia? What inspired you to start this company and what you guys are doing? Sure. So I started Ophelia in um, early 2019 after losing a longtime on and off girlfriend of mine to an overdose. And after doing a bit of research and talking to medical professionals, realized that uh, there's a treatment that works quite well for opioid use disorder. It looks a bit like the treatment you get for depression or anxiety, which is medication plus support and therapy. But 80% of people who are struggling with opioid addiction are not getting it uh, because the system that exists today to deliver it, known as rehab, uh, doesn't work for a lot of reasons. Um, And so what we've set out to do effectively is take proven science and deliver it in a way that is appealing to people who need help but who can't or won't go to rehab for reasons related to cost, convenience, and privacy, and who by default today are choosing instead to buy withdrawal medication on the black market, which is unfortunately what my ex-girlfriend did, and it didn't turn out too well. Hey, well, first of all, very sorry to hear about your loss, and appreciate you being so candid and forthcoming about that. Can you tell me a bit about how you are finding these people today, right? Are, are these people who are just actively seeking a solution and, and have not found anything that's suitable? Uh, so we are right now acting as if we were a direct-to-consumer technology company. So uh, acquiring patients through predominantly digital channels who are not currently in the health system. Um, the reality is, uh, you know, there are millions of Americans struggling with opioid addiction very few of them are in treatment and an even smaller percentage are getting medication assisted treatment, which is the only uh, medical protocol proven to to work and meaningfully reduce overdoses. Um, But the default solution for many of these people is to go buy, you know, they want to quit. Uh, They're terrified of withdrawal. They don't want to go to rehab. And the same person who sells them pills and heroin will also sell them the withdrawal medication. So that's what they do. They call up their drug dealer. They buy, you know, Suboxone for loads and loads of money. uh, And they try and do it on their own. Um, But ultimately, they don't like it because, first of all, it's extraordinarily expensive. Many of the people we talk to are spending, you know, thousands of dollars a month. It's unreliable. 
you know, if you run out of your medication, you're terrified of going into withdrawal and worrying about when you're going to get your, your next refill from your dealer, if you will. And if you run out, then you're in trouble because you're either going into withdrawal or you're going to start using again. And that's how a lot of people die. And so uh, we see ourselves as effectively disrupting the black market. You know, if right now there are X number of people across the country texting their drug dealer for Suboxone, uh, well, wouldn't it be great if on the other end of that text message were a licensed clinician who could treat them accordingly and allow them to use their insurance, which the vast majority of our patients have, to pay for their medication and provide them an ongoing stable supply of medication so that they're not concerned when they're going to get their next dose or if they're going to get arrested going into you know Kensington in Philadelphia while also providing you know around the clock medical support and help with stuff like pharmacy issues and insurance which can be a huge headache for these people and so um, the short answer to your question is you know we're getting people who are not actually in treatment right now they're not in the medical system uh, they're coming to us online because they prefer to use Ophelia than to continue to buy this medication on the streets Super interesting and awesome what you've built. It sounds like this is definitively a need that is not being met right now. And, you know, the follow-up question I would have for you, you know, COVID has shifted the landscape, uh, not only for healthcare, but just in general. And having opened your doors prior to COVID, how has your business changed as a result of of these changes that COVID has brought on? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Well, I think it's pretty well documented that the addiction crisis in this country has only gotten worse as a result of COVID. Meanwhile, many of the brick and mortar rehabs have failed to accommodate to changing regulations uh, and are going out of business. So you've got uh, (laughs) increase in problems, decrease in solutions, and uh, a need for an, an even higher need for the services we're offering than existed before the pandemic hit. Uh, But, but really the, largest impact for us has been on the regulatory side. So there are a number of regulations that make a telemedicine business in opioid use disorder difficult. Uh, The most important of which is the Ryan Haight Act, which was passed in 2008 after an individual bought some sketchy drugs from an online pharmacy and died. And, uh, you know, that regulation says that you need to have at least one in-person visit with a patient in order to prescribe a controlled substance. The medication we prescribe is controlled. Now, uh, on top of that, there are other regulations that make the you know, supply of clinicians even scarcer than they might otherwise have been. For example, in order to prescribe you know, Suboxone or buprenorphine, you need a special waiver from the DEA. Fewer than 5% of doctors in this country have it. And 40% of counties in America don't have a single licensed prescriber. And so you're essentially asking people to go out of their way in rural America, drive to a clinic, find a licensed prescriber who can write them a prescription in person. And uh, because of the way these clinics are structured, go back there multiple times a week on occasion for things like group therapy, et cetera. When the public health emergency hit, many of these regulations were waived. And so you don't need to do an in-person visit in order to prescribe a Schedule Three controlled substance like buprenorphine, which means that we have the ability to onboard patients purely remotely. And lo and behold, most of the patients coming to us are from you know rural parts of the country where they have no otherwise they don't really have you know other uh, other options um, because there just simply are no prescribers in their area. So that's been the big one for us. 
you know, other, other regulations that have been relaxed include the ability for prescribers to practice across state lines. So as you may know, the, the licensure process for getting a clinician registered in a new state can be long and onerous. Uh, we've been able to expedite the reach of our clinicians by allowing them to practice across state lines while those uh, you know, state-level licensure requirements have been waived due to coronavirus. Did you say that 40% of counties in America don't have a licensed prescriber for opioid addiction treatment? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, any, any, anyone with a prescription pad in this country can prescribe you Oxycontin, Vicodin, Percocet. But in order to prescribe what many consider to be the antidote, you need a special waiver from the DEA. And once you have that waiver, there's a cap on the number of patients you can treat, which complicates the economics for companies that are trying to hire people to serve their patients because they can only bring you a well-defined and small volume of patients. Now, many of the people who are licensed to do this live in urban communities and 40% of counties in rural America don't have a single prescriber who can write you a prescription. I would say that's unbelievable, but having worked in healthcare for a little while, it's believable, but it's tragic nevertheless. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, I mean, fortunately, the new administration has uh, an agenda, which includes getting rid of what's called the X waiver. So when you get a license from the DEA to prescribe buprenorphine, you get a little X on your DEA. The license is called an X waiver. Um, they want to get rid of it, which would allow anyone who has the ability to prescribe controlled substances would allow them to, to write buprenorphine prescriptions without having to go through you know, hurdles in order to get their license. Now, that's not going to solve the problem entirely because it's not enough to have your license. You need to be comfortable treating patients. You need to have an infrastructure um, through which to treat them, and you need to be able to be connected to them, right? So you know, while there is, on one hand, a, a, a dearth of licensed prescribers in this country, Many of the prescribers who are licensed are actually not treating patients because, for example, they work on hospital floors. They don't sit in an office. They're not marketing to patients. And if they want to treat patients on the side, there's no one to manage those patients for them. So many of the clinicians who work with us are actually, you know, part-time and are relying on, on us for, um, you know, our care coordination services so that they can have a panel of patients that aren't reaching out to them while they're off duty. And, um, you know, our quote unquote marketing services so we can deliver patients who are pre-screened you know, to their, their Zoom uh, and they don't have to worry about that aspect of it all. Do you believe that as the world returns to something that looks like normal in the coming year or years, that things like the clause around practicing across state lines will remain or do you see some of those things being clawed back? Well, I think it's likely that some, some of them will be clawed back, but I also think it's likely we will never return to the pre-pandemic status quo. Um, I would expect that uh, the ability to practice across state lines will return after the pandemic. I think some of the regulations around teleprescribing will be made permanent. And so, you know, I mentioned the Ryan Haight Act. Uh, interestingly, there was a clause in the original uh, ruling that said, you need to have, well, so the way they framed it is you need to have uh, established patient-provider relationship before writing a prescription. And there was a section where they said this relationship could be established over telemedicine. And it essentially said, we'll define what that means sometime in the future. This was 2008. 
they never, <laughs> they never explained what it meant to be a telemedicine provider. So there was no way for someone to register as a telemedicine provider, provider and get around the in-person visit requirement. When the Support Act was passed by the Trump administration, uh, they basically, you know, <laughs> commanded the DEA to announce this special registration for telemedicine providers. Uh, they were supposed to come out with uh, a process and uh, a ruling in 2019. In October, they came out in October of 2019. They came out and said, uh, we haven't made up our minds yet. Um, you know, we'll be coming out with something soon. It's now a year later. They still haven't done it. Mm. And so the... <laughs> You know, the, the telemedicine, um, the, the Ryan Hate Act was more or less set to be amended a year ago. It's a question of whether or not it will be amended in the future. I think it will be. And at the same time, there are a number of bills in Congress that would uh, override Ryan Hate entirely to make Schedule Three controlled substances, specifically buprenorphine, uh, exempt from the in-person visit requirement. So the short answer to your question is, I don't know what's going to happen. I think we're headed in the inevitable direction of relaxed regulation. It's just a question of how how quickly that will actually happen and through what mechanisms it will be um, you know, made permanent. Zach, a lot of our listeners are clinical executives, and there's an increased focus, I think, at not just the health system level, but across the United States, that addressing population health issues and uh, SDOH is a great way to drive down costs and to, to really help people as opposed to seeing them for the first time when they land in your ED with irreversible conditions, right? So if you are a, let's say a VP of population health of an integrated delivery network and you have patients that you insure, um, what sorts of, of information would you share with, uh, with someone of that title, let's say about addiction treatment, what exists today, and how a solution like uh, Ophelia might be able to step in and make things slightly better? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is that uh, health systems are really good at treating patients who are already in front of one of their providers. The problem with opioid addiction treatment is that the vast majority of people who are struggling, you know, around 80% are not in treatment at all. They're out in the streets buying medication on the black market. And so the first problem is that the, you know, the, the, the health systems and the payers have no way of knowing who these people are. Interesting. So about, about 95% of our patients are Medicaid enrolled. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that Medicaid managed care companies get paid is through a uh, capitation-based model from the state that depends on the number of members they have in their network adjusted for the risk characteristics of those members. Now, if 80% of the people who are high risk with opioid use disorder are actually invisible to the system, well, they're not getting paid adequately for those members because they have no data that says they're actually high risk. Uh, and they don't know about it until they wind up in the emergency room. And so, you know, most of the solutions that exist uh, at the level of payers and health, plan, health plans today um, are centered around getting people who are coming out of the emergency room into treatment but they're doing very little to actually activate people who are not yet in treatment. And that's where we think we're different. You know, we've built a consumer product, if you will, that people actually like and will opt into, even if they're terrified and unwilling to go into rehab as it exists today. And so we have the ability to treat people who are in the system, um, but need lower cost and better care. We also have the ability to get people into the system who are not currently being treated and are ultimately you know, very high cost and you know, not adequately paid for by the states. 
Well, Zach, I know you may not know this, but I'm actually the CEO of uh, Feldman University Health System, and I just heard this podcast, and I love this. How do I go about getting your solution implemented within my health system? Well, first of all, send me an email at Zach at Ophelia.com, Z-A-C-K. But uh, it's actually quite straightforward. I mean, like I said, uh, we have a ton of patients who are requesting our help. we're acquiring them at very low cost. And if you give us basically the, well, you can give us a list of your patients, your members rather, we'll go find the ones who are currently at risk of overdose, get them into treatment and treat them for you. And we'll scale up our clinicians insofar as you're willing to pay for it. Now, the cost of an untreated opioid addict is pretty pretty high. You know, on average, it can run you $50,000 a year. An overdose itself, if it includes the ICU, can be $90,000. And so you have a willingness to pay for this. Meanwhile, what you're paying for is you know, residential detox programs that typically do not work and that are only offered to patients once they're already in the emergency room. So open up your Rolodex. We'll get your patients into treatment insofar as you pay us for them. I've actually heard a figure before that the cost of a patient with an addiction is six to seven times that of that same patient with the same underlying conditions without an addiction. The number you cited that something on the order of 80% of patients who have issues with addiction are not in treatment, I imagine is also uh, quite problematic for payers. Can you speak a little bit to how payers are or are not addressing that today? Yeah, I mean, so if you think about the the solutions that an organization like Ophelia provides to payers, you can break it down into revenue drivers and cost savings. So as I said, uh, you know, again, most I'm, I'm talking mostly about the Medicaid population because those are the patients who are coming to us today. Uh, the way that managed care organizations get paid is based on a risk score for their members. Now, if you've got a member who is not diagnosed with opioid use disorder because he or she is self-medicating through their drug dealer, well, then they're not flagged as high risk and you're not getting paid adequately to manage them. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that you only find out they're high risk when they wind up in the ED and you've already paid for their care. That's problem number two. And so what we would help you with is identify high-risk members so you can get paid adequately for managing them and get them into low-cost care so you don't have to pay for emergency room visits comorbidities and expensive rehab that doesn't work. And why is it that, in your opinion, that, that the existing rehab solutions are, are falling so short of the mark? Well, there, there are a whole host of, of reasons, but the simple answer is that people hate rehab. So, you know, they've been fighting their entire lives this idea of submitting to rehab. You go to rehab, you're a failure because you couldn't do it on your own. Many, you know, most of the people who are struggling with OUD in this country have lives. They have jobs, they have families, they have privacy concerns, they don't want to be exposed as a drug addict. And so the last thing they want to do is show up at their community clinic where they might run into someone they know, uh, let alone someone they work with, and let their secret out. And so there's a high demand for privacy. Meanwhile, the way that most rehab clinics are reimbursed today is on a fee-for-service basis that incentivizes them to do things that are not medically necessary, but increase their own revenue. And so many of these programs will require you to come in multiple times a week for drug testing, group therapy, things that are not 
uh, shown to necessarily improve outcomes uh, you know, across the general population, but actually scare people away. And so they don't want to opt into treatment in the first place, and they don't want to stick with it once they think they're better after a month, and so they fall out, right? And so what we're trying to do is give people the treatment that they want in a way that is private and convenient and affordable uh, so that they can go on with their lives, get access to quality care, but do it discreetly if that's something that they care about. And, and I went through your website in preparation for this and just filled out the, um, the form. It's super simple and straightforward. I mean, I was shocked at how easy it was. I mean, I stopped right before scheduling a, a clinician visit, but it, it really is a, a very easy process from the perspective of a prospective patient. What is the, uh, what does that process look like from the point at which I was not able to go further, right? What is it like to be a patient on Ophelia? Sure. So the first thing you'll do is schedule a consultation call with one of our care coordinators. We will make sure you're informed about how our program works, um, that you're able to pay for it because we're not contracted with health insurers today, unfortunately. Um, and so, as I mentioned, you know, 90, 95% of our patients are Medicaid enrolled, uh, yet they're choosing to pay us $200 a month instead of opt for an in-network provider because that's how much they hate rehab. Uh, but we'll make sure that you can pay. Um, if you can't, we'll try and work something out with you. Um, but we also want to understand a little bit more about your treatment history to make sure that you're likely to be a good fit for Ophelia because we are ultimately a low threshold provider that is not fit for everybody. If the consultation call goes well, um, you know, we'll send you a link that you can use to create an account and schedule an initial visit with one of our, our clinicians, and that might be an MD or a nurse practitioner. And then there's a video chat where we go through a full medical history evaluation, diagnosis, and create a treatment plan for you. Uh, we'll, if it's appropriate, write a prescription that you can fill the same day at your pharmacy, and then guide you through the induction period if you're starting buprenorphine for the first time. Um, which includes basically, you know, round the clock access to our care coordination team and our medical professionals. And there will be a series of, of follow-up visits that will include some combination of medication management and counseling slash therapy uh, until you feel like you're at a point where you can graduate to less frequent visits and you've passed certain milestones. For example, uh, clean drug tests. So we do send urine kits to the patient's home. Um, and make sure that they are positive for buprenorphine and negative for everything else. If they slip up, we don't punish them. We work with them to stay in the program. Um, but, you know, we believe in a level of mutual respect for our patients, treating them like humans, like people, not as, you know, subjects or diseased individuals, and working with them so that they get to a point where they feel comfortable in their recovery and can start to solve some of the other more pervasive problems in their lives that have stemmed from the fact that they've been spending all of their money and all of their mental energy maintaining a drug habit that has ruined their family lives, their job, their career, um, and anything else that they have going on. Well, Zach, what you've built is is nothing short of amazing. I, I remember sitting in a WeWork with you uh, in 2019, and this was just an idea, I think, at that point. And to see how far this has come and how many patients you've, you're able to help is really uh, remarkable. So first of all, amazing work. Second of all, as you look forward to the next five or 10 years, what do you see in the future for Ophelia? Where do you see this platform shifting? 
Well, first of all, thanks, Corey. I appreciate that. I'm a big fan of yours as well. Love the podcast. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that you invited me on and that we've continued to stay in touch ever since that day in the WeWork. Uh, but, uh, you know, our, like our general thesis is that the rehab industry as it exists today doesn't work because it doesn't follow the science. Uh, it's too expensive and people hate it. So they won't opt in in the first place. And if they do opt in, they won't stick with it. And so our mission is to build something that is lower cost, more effective, and more, more desirable than traditional rehab. And if we do that, then we expect we'll be able to supplant much of the industry today and uh, offer services that we're not offering uh, at present. And that includes you know, medication-assisted treatment for other addictions, um, as well as expanded therapy services and other psychosocial support services for comorbidities that tend to uh, you know, correlate with a drug addiction. You know, if you look at the, the science, it's pretty clear. Uh, medication-assisted treatment works. If you're, not, if you're detoxed, even with medication, but not continued medication, uh, you have a 90% chance of relapsing within the first three months. Yet, there are around 15,000 rehab clinics in this country. Two-thirds of them do not prescribe medication at all. And many of the ones who do prescribe medication don't prescribe it long-term. And they also uh, you know, bundle it with excess services that scare people away. And so our, our plan here is to take the science, package it in a way that is uh, consumer-friendly, and convince and reach people using targeted marketing before they text their drug dealer, and in a way that enables us to enter their lives with as little disruption as possible. Certainly a worthy cause and a worthy mission. So thank you, Zach, for what you've built, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, Corey. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Reimagined podcast. You can learn more about our society at shci.org. If you like today's podcast, please click the subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all our latest content. See you.